Well, tonight, if you turn in your Bibles to the 11th chapter of John's Gospel, again, a familiar passage to all of us, but I pray tonight it'll bring some new truths to us. It's a lengthy chapter, and I want to read it rather like a story. Because sometimes it's hard for us to understand that the Lord, in fact, delays on purpose. Sometimes he doesn't come right away. He doesn't reach that place to where, in agreement with us, he does exactly what we ask him to do. He has his view in mind and not ours. And in fact, sometimes he pushes us out into the storm. Amen? Sometimes there are storms that come into our lives very specifically because we're actually doing God's will. It's hard for us to imagine that at times. There are things that God not only allows, but that God actually does in our lives that are a direct result of the fact we're walking with the Lord. And in fact, His design, His plan, is to use that thing, that event, Maybe that difficulty in our lives for his unbelievable purposes. And that is the story here in John chapter 11. And now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. And Bethany, when you travel to Israel, is very close to Jerusalem. It's just a mile and a half away or so, and it's on the Jericho Road. And as you travel up and over the Mount of Olives, and as you descend into a little valley that's just beyond the Mount of Olives, there as you kind of round the corner on the Jericho Road, you'll find this little tiny hamlet. It really wasn't a town at that time. More like a place you might find a few uh, small dwellings, some sheep herders, some people making a subsistence living. It was a tiny little place, but in that tiny little place was a family that Jesus loved. Sometimes we think about how the Lord works in our lives and we think that he works in the big things all the time. He very often works in the small things. Sometimes in the seemingly insignificant things. It was the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. And therefore the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold... He whom you love is sick. Now normally our response, when we have relationship with people that we really care about, we find out something's going on in their life, it's fairly immediate that we come to their aid. Amen? It's normal that we would get very excited about the prospect of at least being able to do something, no matter what that something is. And so we rather look at the Lord in this delay, it's like, Why? What was he thinking? And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death. Now, I don't know about you, but when you're sick, the last thing you want to hear from anybody is, Ah, you're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. It almost seems, if you look at it from one perspective, like Jesus is trivializing this whole event. When in fact, not only is he not trivializing, he's seeing it exactly for what it is. 
The Lord's never off in his assessment of anything. But for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Does that sound kind of odd to you? He stayed two more days. You know, the jacuzzi was warm. Something was going on. He just decided he'd stay there and hang out. His good friend is sick and the sisters are worried. And Jesus stays another couple of days. It seems out of character. It seems like it couldn't possibly be the will of God. You see, when we're in a time of difficulty, we really don't want the Lord to delay, do we? Anybody else in here want the Lord to respond immediately? When you have something going on in your life, isn't it normal that you, you pray, Lord, heal me and heal me now? Lord, save me and save me now. That's what Hosanna means, by the way. Lord, save us now. You, you see, when we ask of the Lord, we generally want him to be immediate. And yet his delays are so often divine. He's working out a greater purpose. He sees something we don't see. He wants to do something that we ourselves would not do or even allow to be done. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you're going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? And if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not with him. And these things he said, after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him. And the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. You see, they're looking at it from an earthly perspective. Isn't that how we normally see things? We see things from an earthly perspective. We, we look at it from our limited view. We understand, in fact, uh, most things from an earthly perspective. And so it wasn't wrong that they saw it that way. However, it says, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest and sleep. And then Jesus said to them plainly, hey, look, you guys are not the sharpest tools in the shed. You're not getting it. I'm using a metaphor here. Evidently, metaphors aren't getting through, so um, Lazarus is dead. I don't think Jesus said it like that. But his intent was, guys, my purposes, my plans, the things that I'm doing are very often not something you fully understand. Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. Does that sound kind of cruel to you? It's almost like Jesus is making fun of them, but he's not. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. 
You see, there was a purpose for the delay. I'm glad for your sakes that something happened that you would not have allowed to happen had I been there at the moment that you asked me to be there. And this is such a beautiful picture of why God allows bad things to happen to good, pe- good people. Why God allows things into our lives that we very often don't understand, we can't explain. Why after 19 and a half years in a, in a position to where in 20 years you could retire, somehow you end up on the short list and get a pink slip. And you wonder, how could this possibly be the will of God? Maybe you end up with cancer. Maybe it's something going on in your life physically. And maybe you're here tonight, and this is your story. You're wondering why God is delaying in answering your prayer. From God's perspective, virtually everything he allows is for the purpose of glorifying himself, bringing us to some new understanding, some new way of thinking through the things that God is doing in our lives. And he said, nevertheless, let us go to him. And then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. This is like Mr. Morbid. It's like, okay, well, if he's going to die, and this is for the good so that we might believe, let's all go die so that we might all believe. The, the, the Lord is not saying that at all. That's not what he wanted. God has a perfect plan for us individually, and very rarely do the things that work in one person's life directly go to the next person to where, okay, well, everyone has to go through this exact experience. God's big enough to tailor-make all of our things in our lives so that they apply to us. And so now we get to the meat of this. And when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. That's what we like to call dead. Really dead. Smelly dead. The ugly kind of dead. And now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. They were literally in that period of time of mourning to where they would actually hire, if you were a fairly wealthy Jewish family at the time, they would hire mourners, people to come and just wail and howl at the top of their lungs. It was a major ordeal. And and the more noise it was made and the more people you had, the more loved that person was believed to have been. And so here is this suffering servant circle. And now Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary was sitting in the house. And now Martha said to Jesus, and you know Martha's story, right? You see, Mary sat and Martha worked. Mary was listening and Martha was busy doing. And so it kind of continues as we've known her to be. He went to meet him and Mary was sitting and, and then it goes on to say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now there's some faith in that statement. She, she's believing that Jesus could have actually prevented her brother from dying. But the one thing that's missing is that the faith doesn't quite go far enough 
because Jesus wanted to do something bigger than just simply keep him from getting really sick unto death. You see, sometimes this is us. Sometimes that health issue that you, you think, well, the Lord will just heal this little thing actually turns into a, maybe a four-way bypass instead of an angiogram. Sometimes that little tiny piece of what looks like a, a mole that won't go away actually ends up being melanoma. Sometimes those things that you experience in your life, you would like them to stay small so that you don't have to suffer much, but in the not much suffering, there's also not as much glory for the Lord. God's seeking to do a bigger thing in your life. And that was the picture here. If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask, you can see your faith is quite alive. God will give to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha, again, showing exactly how limited her understanding was of the things that the Lord would do. She had an understanding, but it wasn't a complete understanding, and sometimes that's us. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She says, well, I believe in the resurrection of the last day. How many Christians do you know that believe the promises of God for other people for other times? How many people do you know that believe the promises of God for other people at other times? We don't personally apply them. They don't think they apply to us. And yet the Lord is doing something wonderful right in our presence. And Jesus said to her, and this is the fifth of the I am statements, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And you can almost see the wheels start to turn in Mary and Martha's life. You, you can imagine, they're, they're thinking, what exactly are you saying? And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come, and he's calling you. This is the beginning, really, of this entire story, where Jesus begins to lay out something that is so hard for us to understand. Why, why was it that he, he didn't come right away? Why was it when the word came, he delayed? It would have been easy for Jesus to show up almost immediately, right? He wasn't hindered in any way, shape, or form. It wasn't like he was on some you know, retreat someplace. He, he hadn't made plans, travel plans. He wasn't in a foreign country. He was a couple of miles away. That's it. He could have walked there in a half hour. He could have just gone and healed Lazarus, come back, done whatever he wanted to do again. But Jesus waited, and he waited on purpose. So many times we don't understand why it is that God isn't responding immediately to the things in our life. And I would ask you to think of it this way. Right now there's roughly 7 billion people on the planet. And if God is who he says he is, that he's absolutely sovereign, and that he can learn nothing, he can be taught nothing, there is nothing he doesn't already know. 
then he knows the lives of seven billion people simultaneously. And he is working out his perfect will and purpose in the lives of all seven billion people simultaneously. And so sometimes what seems like a delay that's on purpose, that's to our detriment, is actually the Lord at work to a greater purpose for his own glory. But because it affects us, we get a little impatient with God. And you can see that in both Mary and Martha, specifically Mary. We, we say, just get here now. We say, Lord, bring back my prodigal son. We say, Lord, I need a new job now. Lord, we say, uh, bring my spouse back. I, I don't know how this, this disaster happened in our marriage. Lord, take this addiction. Heal my cancer. We say, do these things right now today. And yet the Lord chooses not to do that right now today. He waits. And it seems like an eternity. It's because he's working out an eternal purpose, an eternal plan that we can't see. And so as he begins to speak in this chapter, really the key to this whole chapter is what Jesus said in that this sickness is not unto death. And I want you to think about that for just a second. This sickness is not unto death. As a believer in Christ, there's not a single sickness that you actually could ever get that is truly unto death for you. Because this is not your home. This isn't where you're actually going to dwell for eternity. So what seems like death while we're on this earth is actually just as James said, a vapor. It's a moment in time. And so Jesus is giving the, this family a key saying, look, this, this is not the end of the world, is what he's really saying. If we put it in our modern vernacular, this is not the end of the world. Now when you say that to someone with cancer, they normally throw things at you. When, when you say that to someone who hasn't had a job in a year, they get very upset. And sometimes it can come across as we don't care. But when the Lord says, look, this is not the end of the world, it's because it's not the end of the world. Because this world isn't the final place that we're going to be spending eternity. It's the difference between a temporal and an eternal view. Jesus stayed and didn't come because he loved that family. He stayed and and tarried because those delays were delays of love. He stayed there because his purest, his simplest, his most profound, transparent love sways him to do everything he does. God has no motivation. The Lord has no motivation beyond love. Have you ever thought of that? Everything the Lord either allows or does in your life, he does for one singular motivation. It's because he loves you. He doesn't hate you. He's not so upset with you that he changes his motivation. He he may chastise us, but even that chastisement, Scripture says he does to those whom he loves. Amen? He chastens his kids. If he doesn't chasten you, it's because he doesn't love you. So he chastens you. Amen? That's what Hebrews says. You you see, sometimes we're tempted to think that when God allows things in our lives over a longer period of time that we don't understand, that somehow we fell out of favor. He doesn't like us anymore. When when I was a very young Christian, I 
I had some really strange theological bents. I treated my Bible, and, and again, you should respect your Bible, by the way, but I treated my Bible like the paper itself was actually holy. And so when I saw someone for the first time actually writing in their Bible, I almost lost it. It's like, you're defiling the Word of God! You know, and I, I, I remember looking at it, it's like, how could you do sacrilege? You know, I just, that's the way I thought. Until I tripped leaving church one Sunday and my Bible went straight into the gutter and it was full of rainwater. My Bible ended up about eight inches thick. You know what happens when the pages swell up and you can no longer close it? My Bible was, looked like a piece of watermelon. And, and I, I, I'm trying to close it. And, and so I figured out the best way to do this was to actually put the car on top of it. So I had my dad back over my Bible to see if I could recompress the pages. And then all of a sudden I figured, well, writing it is not quite that bad. You see, sometimes God allows things in our lives that at first we don't understand because he's working out some other purpose. He was trying to show me, no, I am the Word. What you have is a written version of the Word, but I'm the Word. Revere me. Honor the Bible, of course. Treat it with care, yes. But don't worship the pages. Worship me. You see, what seems to be so terribly long to us is just a second to him, maybe a nanosecond to him. It, it, it's, it's not even, in his mind's eye, it's not even a concern. And so he gives the purpose. He says, look, here in verse 15, it says, so that you might believe. These things are happening so that you might believe. These things are something way bigger than just a dead person. Because if you believe... He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? If you believe in me, even if you die, he's actually saying in the original language, when you die, because you're going to die, when you're dead, even though you've taken your last breath, you're still going to be alive. That's way better than trying to can you believe how much money people spend on nutritional supplements? Well, if you just take ginkgo biloba and, uh, you know, and follow it with cayenne pepper and garlic. You ever smelled the breath of those people? <laughs> that will kill you all by yourself. It's like you, you may live, but nobody will want to be near you. Yeah, we work on all these things to try and make our earthly lives last longer. Now, I'm, I'm not telling you to go do things intentionally to shorten your life expectancy. However, some bacon is healthy. In Jesus' name. Praise you, Lord. I see that hand in the back. Yeah, we, we think about all these things. We're going like, well, you know, if I, if I just do this and I just do that. Look, here's, here's the long and short of it. One day you're going to die. Physically. But it'll be the best day of your life eternally. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? Amen? That's the eternal perspective. That's what Jesus is trying to get across here. He's not, you know, like, okay, well, we'll just make sure he does all these things. Now, look, if, if God's... I take vitamins, okay? Only the gummy kind. <laughs> Praise God for gummy vitamins. Because without them, I'm not taking them. 
But no, you, you, we think on all these things that we do, and we're, we're almost religious about it, and the Lord's trying to change our priorities to have an eternal set of priorities, not a temporal set of priorities. And that's the picture here. He's working leisurely because he's got all eternity to work with. He's not in a hurry. He's looking at the things going on in our lives. He says, you know what? I have a perfect plan for that. You're not going to get it. Your brother's actually going to die, but I've got a plan for him so that you might believe. If God removed every single trial and test and every negative thing from our lives, when would our faith ever be tested? How would we really believe? You see, I believe because of the difficult things that God's allowed in my life because I've watched him be faithful. That's one of the things that strengthens my faith. And I guarantee you the strength of this family was radically transformed. God's answer always comes at exactly the right time from his perspective. And that purpose that he's working out is something that we just maybe don't get right away. And so Jesus says, look, in me, None of you are going to die forever. Lazarus is dead. But if I left him like that even now, he still would be okay. And so the sisters are going, oh, if, only if, Lord, have you just shown up? And the tears and the emotions and all the things that go with it. And those things are good, by the way. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. God understands our tears so much so that Scripture says he stores our tears in a bottle. Not one drops to the ground. He hasn't seen it. It's it's the same basic picture as the sparrow that drops to the ground. He knows where every last one of them lands. And he does the same with us. He cares about what you care about. The only difference is he has a perfect perspective on what you care about and what I care about. And so his purpose, look, he says, I was glad for your sakes that I was not there because the intent was that you believe. And I'm here to tell you that the darkest place on this planet is when you have one eye on Christ and one eye on the world. When you go back and forth, you need to keep your eyes on Christ. That's where your help comes from. He is your very present help in a time of trouble. He is the one that's mighty to save. You see, we bounce back and forth sometimes. And that's a dark place. We need to get new vision. We need to have our soul's eye focused, so to speak. And so Jesus says, look, your brother's going to rise again. And that's why he says, I am the resurrection and the life. A simple question. Which would be more difficult, raising Lazarus at the end of days or raising Lazarus who's been dead for four days? The answer is neither one of them is difficult to God. Amen? If Jesus is who he says he is, then whether he raises him after four days of being dead in a tomb or whether he raises him at the end of the age, they're both the same. And yet, do you see how short Mary and Martha's faith stopped. Their faith stopped. And if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. 
and yet the same miracle is necessary at the end of the age. Isn't it weird how we can do that with the Lord? We trust Him for eternity, but we don't trust Him for today. We trust Him with our eternal destiny, but we don't trust Him with our kids. We we trust Him that He holds the stars in the space, but we don't trust Him to somehow find us a a house. We, We are willing to say, well, yes, Lord, I I believe as long as they don't get this kind of cancer, but we don't really say, Lord, you created my entire being. Surely you knew this was coming. We need to let our faith go all the way to the other end of the spectrum. And that was the place he was trying to get this family to. And John actually doesn't simply say that he will give resurrection and life. He says he is resurrection and the life. It's different to give somebody something than to actually be it. In other words, to be it is to be the source. Amen? So you can give out things that you actually are not. You can go to the store and you, know, you can buy you know, whatever goods and you can hand them to somebody. That doesn't mean that you can make them. He's the source of life. He's the, assor- he's the source of eternity. And so as you travel down to the cemetery, you can almost imagine as they come to the tomb and there's a stone lying against it, and, and you, you get this picture that this family is just racked with grief. Mary probably buries her head in Martha's shoulder, and you can almost see him sobbing. They're gathered together with these mourners, and they're, they're working almost like a, like a huddle. They're just going from place to place, and, oh, he's gone, and what are we going to do? And, and they watched in utter disbelief as they looked at that stone, going, this is, this is it. This is, this is finality right here, and the Lord's just saying, no, it really isn't. You think it is. And Jesus saw him, he was, you can almost picture him maybe almost emotionless, and he just looks over at the tomb, and he says, unbind him. Let him go. A little theological conundrum exists for us, because at this time Jesus has not yet died on the cross. At this time Jesus absolutely has not paid the price for sin. That's going to come in a very short period of time, but he's still alive. He he has not had the weight of the sins of the world placed upon him. He's not made that propitiation. He hasn't paid the ransom yet. At this point in time, people are still, when they're dying, they're going to a very special place called Abraham's bosom. You can see it in Luke chapter 16. It's a story of of the rich man. He's there, he's waiting he says, look, there's a gulf fixed between us, and he can't come here, and I can't go there. And there's Abraham, and the poor man in glory. And so Lazarus wasn't actually in this tomb. But wherever he was, he could hear the voice of the Lord. Wherever he was, Jesus had full command. And he says, come on out. Can you imagine Lazarus down with Abraham and Isaac and David in Abraham's bosom, kind of hanging out in a place that Scripture calls paradise, by the way? 
they're hanging out, and all of a sudden he kind of gets an email from Jesus. Look, you're not staying. You're coming back. Soul meets back up with the body. And all of a sudden that body that's now been dead for several days is back a whole person again. Soul, spirit, and body. Except the, the body's kind of suffered a little bit in the last four days. And so you can almost see Lazarus, this, this kind of creaking, gray, you know, mass rising up out of the tomb, trying to shake off the head piece and the, and the bindings that are on him. You can almost imagine Lazarus saying something like, man, is somebody going to help me get out of these things? What are you guys doing? Why are you standing there? Because he's been in paradise. And the Lord says, look, we have something we need to do, so you're going to come back and I need to show something to your sisters. And so he says, do you believe this to the sisters? That's really what it's all about, isn't it? For us as the body of Christ, what do you believe? What do you believe? Because there's not a single person in this room who's ever experienced death and then come back like Lazarus. So what do you believe tonight? Do you believe that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? You should. Because without believing that, you're probably not going to be looking for a Savior. Do you believe that all of us must appear one day before the judgment seat of God? Do you believe that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? Do you believe that? See, everything that we are as Christians hinges on what do you believe? Because none of you have gotten, I don't think any of you have gotten like a video chat from heaven, right? You've not actually seen the Lord. He didn't personally come and speak to you. You have it in God's Word, and the Word is speaking to you. The Word became alive in Christ. It spoke these things into our lives. But it boils down to, do you believe? What do you believe? Do you believe that the just shall live by faith? Do you believe without faith it's impossible to please God? Do you believe that where I am, my servant should be also? Do you believe that forever we will be with the Lord? You see, that's what he was trying to tell the sisters. Look, there's more to it than you just believing in the resurrection at the very end. Everybody likes a good ending to a story, right? So it's not hard for us to imagine that as Jesus is speaking these things, they're all starting to think, well, you know, how did we get from here to there? And they're missing the living that's in between. And he was saying, look, I want you to live a resurrected life now. Because when you take your last breath, you're going to step out of time and into eternity. And everyone, it says there in verse 25, who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Look, live and believe in me. The disciples are going, well, let's just go die with Lazarus. You know, maybe we should all just go die. I mean, this must be something awesome. No, the Lord's saying, look, stay here. You've got a plan. There's a purpose. 
These promises are really the living, the breathing center of all of Christianity when you really think about it. Because Jesus is our life now, amen? It's not just later, it's now. Later's gonna happen. It's a foregone conclusion. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. That life is what you're living today. That this life that we live now, we live for Christ. That we have purpose in it. And so that resurrection power is not just for later, it's for today. And when you start living your life in that resurrected manner, looking at everything like, man, I can be a holy risk taker. Maybe God's calling me into the mission field. Maybe I'm supposed to go to Bible college. Maybe I'm supposed to share Christ with that person who hates my guts at work. You see, when you think about living a resurrected life now, it changes the the paradigm. It shifts it over to where what matters is eternal things. Because you're one day going to step into eternity, but you have the opportunity to affect eternity right now by the people that you share Christ with. And so as you live your life, we, we then live that overcoming life because we're going to one day die, that's certain. Unless the Lord comes through his church and then we'll all be in heaven together simultaneously. Praise the Lord. Amen? But one day you're going to die. When you think of it that way, really, what's there to lose today? Amen? That's the picture he was trying to get across. Look, you're going to be resurrected. That is certain. On the last day. You're also going to step out of time and into eternity. That's certain. So live a resurrected life right now. An abandoned life right now. A life for me right now. Let's not skip from here to there. Let's live today fully. Every breath you draw comes from Christ. Do you ever think about that? It's involuntary, isn't it? None of us sit around thinking, man, I sure hope I remember to breathe tomorrow. (laughs) Boy, I just, you know, I really got to go see somebody about my heart beating. I just, you know, I, I need to make sure that continues to happen. No, God does all those things so that we don't have to think about them, so we can invest our time, our talent, our treasure, our energies into things that matter while we're here. He takes care of all that stuff. How tragic it is when we look at the, the promises of God through the wrong end of the telescope. Amen? All of a sudden, eternity looks so far away when it's actually really close. You know what happens when you flip around a telescope, right? thing can be right in front of your face, and it looks like it's two miles away. It's that close. It's going to happen. So live like it's going to happen. That causes holy risk-taking. That causes us to do things like, Lord, I, I just want to go out in style. Someone asked me one time, well, you know, I, I think I got ministry burnout. I said, I said, chances are it's not ministry burnout you have. It's probably rust. You get so weighted down from all the crustiness of, of of, of trying to stay within this little minute bubble that you think is the Christian life, and you stop taking risks. There's no excitement to your life. You're not looking at it like, Lord, what are we going to do today? You see, that was the picture of, of Lazarus. Can you imagine when he came back? He had to die again. I feel sorry for the guy, actually. 
Lazarus was raised from the dead only to die again, but then he got the same promise as if he died only once. Amen? That's the good news. If you're born again, you only die once. No matter how many times you might physically exit this planet and come back, we sign those orders called do not resuscitate. If you've got one in your wallet, like, you know, you're, you're pretty concerned that, you know, maybe you have a health issue and you sign one of those things and you get to the hospital and it says right on there, DNR, do not resuscitate. That's not, that's not our choice usually. However, it's pretty true spiritually. Look, I don't want to stay here. I'd like to go there. But I want to make the best use of the time that I have here. And so here's this beautiful picture of this man that comes back to life. Look, I am. I am alone. There is no other. I am the only resurrection and the only life. And so what Jesus is actually saying is, let's live life with an eternal purpose. When you, when you say yes to Jesus, it gets you out of that old spiritual deadness. It gets you away from all those things that used to bind you up and keep you wrapped up like Lazarus was in his grave clothes. Every last one of us was dead in our trespasses and sins, but he has made us alive, amen? We need to be alive. When he comes back, all the redeemed on this planet are going with him. It's going to be a glorious time. Why don't we practice now? Somebody asked me one time, you know, you're, always, you're kind of too smiley. A guy actually told me, you're too smiley for me. And I said, I'm sorry. I realize that you love misery, but I'm pretty sure that's not what God has for us. I actually said that to him. He kind of looked at me with a stern look, and I said, no, I'm just trying to shake you up a little bit. I said, why would you not want to have joy while you're on this earth? You get all this in heaven, too. So whatever you're going through, the end of it, when you take your last breath, is heaven. So no matter how bad it is here, it's going to be so glorious later that this really isn't going to matter ultimately. But the things that you do for Christ are going to have some eternal effect when you get there. Isn't it going to be awesome when you get to heaven, you're walking around, those people that you've led to Christ, can you imagine? You know, we're grateful for a lot of things in this country, and we should be. But can you imagine how grateful people will be to those who have brought them the good news of the gospel? We share all kinds of information. We're in the information age, amen? It's like you can go on right now and you can find out what the temperature is in, you know, in the middle of Mongolia. I'll save you the trouble. It's cold. <laughs> really cold. But we can get all kinds of information, and yet we have the most precious information ever delivered to any human being as children of God. Jesus Christ saves. And we kind of, well, you know, what about the Padres score, the Dodgers score? We share all that kind of stuff. Those are all good things, by the way. Don't miss what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is if he is the resurrection and the life, and we have that life now, why don't we share that life with other people? Because that'll change their life. Knowing the score of a baseball game, not life-changing. Might make you a little crazy for a while. Could cause you to wear funny colors on your face or something. I don't know. But it's not going to change your life. 
He who believes in me, though he shall die, he shall live. That'll change your eternity. Death can't kill a believer. can only usher us into a joyous freedom that we will always know because we will always be with the Lord. There's only two options, two roads, two destinations. We have Kevin come back up. Bring the band back up. We're going to worship a little bit. But as you think on these things, God's not the God of the dead. Amen? He's the God of the living. He's our God. And those who have departed aren't with us anymore. They're, they're in heaven if they know the Lord. But they're awaiting judgment if they don't know the Lord. And there's two places. There's only two options. Matthew 7 reminds us that we're to enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to the destruction. There is another road. But the narrow gate leads into life. And there are a few who find it. And once we find it, we can walk in that wonderful life. Amen? So when Jesus said, look, it's better if I stay here for you. He wanted to do something greater. Don't look at God's delays as though he's upset or angry with you. Don't look at God's delays like he has lost sight of you. Look at God's delays and ask, Lord, what glorious purpose are you attempting to work out in my life? What is it that you want to do that's eternal that you're trying to show me? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for that truth. Lord Jesus, we thank you that that for us is our present reality. Lord, it's not some ethereal thing that we think of. It's who we are. It's what we forever shall be as your children. Lord, you love us. And one day, as we take our last breath, we'll see you face to face. And Father, we're grateful for that promise. It causes us to live our lives with a sense of holy urgency, some reckless abandon in spiritual things. Lord, it causes us to get our eyes off of this earth and onto heaven from where our help comes. And so, God, tonight as we spend these remaining moments just worshiping you and praising you and thanking you, God, as we bring some men, some women forward and are available for prayer. We pray that you would work out your eternal purposes, God, in us, that we'd live that resurrected life even here and even now. We bless you. We praise you, Lord, that one day, we are going to spend the rest of our eternity with you. Lord, thank you for that life. Help us to live it now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.